Hello, and welcome to Small Town Mysteries, a show where three longtime friends from Massachusetts tell crazy and heartbreaking true stories filled with the extra flair of small town mystery. I'm Kate, here with Christine. Hello. And Rachel. Hello. Bringing you our next episode on Tent Girl. This one was a listener suggestion, I do believe. Before we get into that, I'm going to toss it over to Rachel, who is covering our missing person for this week. Okay, so today I'm going to be covering Merlin Mejia Dilao, and I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but I did my best. Um, so Merlin is 12 years old. She was last seen in Monroe, New York on December 8th, 2023. She is a white female with brown hair, brown eyes. She's around 4'11 and weighs 140 pounds. She was last seen wearing a white t-shirt, dark blue sweatpants, and blue Nike Air Jordan sneakers. It's believed that she may be in the local area. If you have any information on the whereabouts of Marilyn, please contact New York State Missing Persons at 1-800-346-3543. Thank you, Rachel. We'll have that information and some pictures up on our Instagram account at Small Town Mysteries Pod when this episode comes out. So if you live in that area, please check that out. All right, Christine, passing it over to you now. Uh, tent girl this one's been in our suggestions folder um for a hot minute yeah i looked into this and thought it was a good one to cover this is a suggestion from jamie so thank you so much jamie thanks for listening thanks for the suggestion Woohoo! okay so to start this case i do have to bring you back a few decades to the year of 1968 this is a definitely an older case So on May 17th of that year, a man was out and about in Georgetown, Kentucky, off of Route 25. He was there for work, but he had some time to spare. So he was out collecting glass bottles on the side of the road. I guess his friend had this artwork project that involved them. So he was being a good friend and collecting them for him. Oh, I mean, I just assumed redeemable like turn them in for money but um Mm -hmm. art installation is a much more compelling story so he was off the main road in a pretty wooded area and while he was there he came across a large object wrapped in green canvas tarp and rope as soon as he got closer there was a horrible smell and he kind of nudged it with his foot because he Obviously wasn't entirely sure what it was at that point and was wanting to be cautious. Um, When he did that, it rolled down a small hill and then revealed a white female who was decomposing and naked. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. So this guy immediately drove to the sheriff's office to report this. But at the time, they didn't really have a lot to work with. The woman's body was in the fetal position, and it was very decomposed. Since she was naked, there was nothing on her body that they could use to identify her with. They did attempt to use her fingerprints, but because of the level of decomposition, they had to rehydrate her skin with chemicals to get a fingerprint. 
And even then, they didn't have anything to compare the fingerprint to. So it wasn't really that mm-hmm. helpful. It was just kind of something they had at right. the time. I mean, fingerprinting for identification purposes only goes so far as the person already being in an existing database. Which is yeah, why, like, exactly. they always have, like, I'm trying to remember where it was, some, like, county fair or something where you could get fingerprinted, like, as kids. And definitely, like, we did that so that we would be in a database if anything ever happened to us. So they then looked toward dental records. The only identifying thing here was that her teeth had a slight gap in the middle and they showed some signs of decay. Autopsy results were as follows. 5'1", a little over 100 pounds, likely between 16 to 18 years old, and determined that she had been dead for between two weeks to two months by the time that they had found her. Decomposition kept them from finding her cause of death. There were not any obvious wounds, like no shotgun wound, nothing that they could really gather from the state she was in at the time. So Georgetown, Kentucky is pretty small, or at least it was at the time. It is now a city with almost 40,000 people, but back in 1968, the population was only around 8,000. So it was a lot smaller back then. The town had not had any death investigations at that point in their history, so they really didn't feel like they were equipped to handle this type of case. And because of that, they contacted the state police, which, good move, I would say. State police attempted to get evidence based on what she was wrapped in, but the rope and the tarp she was wrapped in didn't really give anything away. The rope was one that was like generic and you would kind of find it at like a big name store. So that wasn't helpful. The tarp was actually a cloth material that was used in tents back then, like tents for carnivals and fairs. And that was actually how she got her name, Tent Girl, which would be her name for decades. Which I feel like there's something sad all in that. Like, that's her name now. And, like, what she's referred to, like, it's just so sad to think about that that's what she was resulted into. Right. The state police also attempted to match this unidentified woman and her descriptions to a missing persons report. And at the time, like, they literally just had flashcards with, like, height, weight, all of that information for missing people because, like, they obviously didn't have the internet. So they would just have to flip through all these flashcards to try to find one that kind of matched her description. Um, But didn't really get any leads there. And eventually they had her buried in an unmarked grave. They also asked a local policeman who did art in his free time to look at the autopsy photos and make a sketch of what he thought she could have looked like. So below I have a picture of what he drew and then a picture of what she actually looked like when they identified her and everything. Wow. He got like the whole like lower jaw mouth area perfectly. Mm -hmm. It's almost eerie. This guy was just a hobbyist. He wasn't like the actual sketch artist for the police department or anything. Yeah, that's cool. That's um, very impressive. Yeah. I think like it doesn't help that like I f- he couldn't really be that detailed with mm-hmm. it, you know what I mean? Because he wasn't like her skin at the time was like black, basically from decomp, and then her like her eyes weren't there anymore, so he didn't have a lot to work with. Right, like very limited resources. It's, I think it's impressive. I mean, 
I couldn't draw a square if I tried, but oh, me either. But the thing is, if so, if her eyes were already gone and they were saying two weeks to two months, I feel like it had to would have to be closer that two months, even more. Like, how long does it take for your eyes? Or I guess maybe if there was more foul play involved. Oh, I would think animals. I yeah, I was gonna say. I was thinking animals. I would say for the eyes, probably not decomp. It would probably be animals. But, you know, what do I know? So the picture I was talking about, he it was sent out nationwide because they really thought that she wasn't necessarily from the area. There were a lot of calls and tips, but there wasn't anything solid until cops called from Maryland saying that they believed they knew who she was. So a mother in that area had recently reported her daughter missing. Her daughter was 15 and she had been seen getting in the car with her 17-year-old boyfriend. Not seen after that, obviously. That's why she filed the report. When the police asked that mom to come visit and look at pictures of um, the body, she was not entirely sure that the body she was looking at was her daughter. She was like, I mean, it was in such a decomposed state that she she wasn't sure if it was her daughter or not. She really could not tell. But the cops were really sure about this for whatever reason. They were kind of adamant, like, oh, no, we think that we got it. Like, we think this is who it is. Maybe it was just to kind of, like, mark the case as complete or solved or they wanted it to they wanted to believe that that was the case. So they just declared that Tent Girl was her daughter and they sent the mom home to plan the funeral. However, 10 days later, an anonymous phone call to police came in saying, like, the girl you have is not the girl that you think she is. That girl's actually still alive. Oh, okay. After this, the police take it seriously. They do a full investigation leading them to a small town outside of Philadelphia where they find the girl and the boyfriend. It turns out that they had run away and planned to get married. So was not her. Yeah. That's that's what happens when you're 15 and have a 17-year-old boyfriend, apparently, in the 60s. You run that away to get married. so young. 15 it's is so young. Too young. To get married? Oh, The ew. reason why you need parental consent to get married at that age because you shouldn't do it <laughs> this is too much information and i'm sorry for our listeners i have to share this with you but like i first got my period when i was 14 mm. like the idea mm. of like getting your period at the age of 14 and then the next year being married yeah. is absolutely mind-blowing to me terrifying also i feel like why even is there a law being like oh yeah your parents permission it's like I just don't think you should get married at 16. I just think that's too young in general, even if your parents are like, go for it. Regardless of if your parents approve, it shouldn't happen. Yeah, it's a weird law in my opinion. Hot take. (laughs) Okay, so the next break came from Pennsylvania police. They said that another body had been found several weeks apart from when Tent Girl was found. And the body was found in a similar manner. It was wrapped in a very similar material, very similar victim profiles, and also found naked. But sadly, nothing really panned out from that. Years go by. No leads are produced. 
Tent Girl becomes a local legend in Kentucky. So, talking about another aspect of the story, Wilbur, the man, this is the guy who initially found her body, would often talk about the case with people. And one person he talked to about the case a lot happened to be his daughter's high school boyfriend, Todd. Todd ended up becoming self-admittedly obsessed with the case. After he and Wilbur's daughter got married, he made it his mission to collect as much information about Tank Girl as he possibly could. I feel like like the cliche girlfriend's dad interest is World War II. <laughs> what? Like, it's like, oh, don't talk to my dad. He'll just keep talking about World War II. Or like, oh, yeah, yeah. They just like have hyperfixations. It's, it's interesting to me that this guy's hyperfixation. I mean, it makes sense if he found the body that he would be very interested in what happened to her and who she was. Um, yes. But that being transmitted to the boyfriend is like, I don't know. I feel like that's like a sitcom plot line. <laughs> like your dad talked too much about the dead girl he found, and now I'm obsessed too. And the daughter's yeah, like, oh, it's like I married my dad. Like I know the daughter is like, I can't get away from I this. Can't get away from my dad for crying out loud. Yeah. yeah, that's like all I can think of is like it's it it's borderline sitcom material. Mm-hmm. Just that aspect of it. Obviously, the murder is not, but right. So the internet came around in the '90s, as we all know, and. While Todd was on forums, he came across a message from a woman saying that she was looking for her sister, who went missing in 1968. They get on the phone, and she told him the story of Barbara Ann Hackman, known as Bobby. So this is the story. As a teen, Bobby met a man named George Earl Taylor, who was a carnival worker with a two-year-old daughter. He said when he had met Bobby that his wife had left him and his daughter for another man. And Bobby initially was just his babysitter, but she ended up falling for him, and they got married after only a couple of months. No. Everyone shaking their heads. Yep. Ick. Mm -hmm. I hate that cliche. It's like, stop it. Just stop. Yep. Like I am I am here to watch your children. That's it. Like nothing more, nothing less. You should not have any interest in me. It's gross if you do, regardless of the circumstances of your marriage. Like that's gross. I'm just throwing that out into, right. the, into the universe. It's such a disgusting trope that they always have the babysitter as like some and She was a teenager. Exactly. And young. that's the thing, is like that trope tends to disregard the fact that like babysitters are usually just teenagers like they're just they're kids they're kids themselves you know like it Mm -hmm. grosses me out so they were married within months yeah within a couple months great so bobby did start working at the carnival herself but they eventually did have a couple kids settle down and they moved to florida the home base for the carnival in the summer um George would work at the carnival, and then in the winter, he would drive trucks. So one day, Bobby and George drove over to her sister's work. Bobby asked if her sister wanted to buy a TV from them, and her sister was like, okay, why are you attempting to sell this? Like, it's kind of weird. And Bobby said they actually had to skip town for a while. 
George had skipped out on military duty and the FBI was looking for him. Yeah. Draft dodger. Yep. So Bobby said they were going to leave for a while and possibly come back sometime in the fall. She didn't give an exact location, but there was mention of Texas. Weeks and then months go by with her family having no idea where she was. One day, Bobby's sister got a visit from a friend who told her that they had seen Bobby's husband, George. George was seen in a rural area in Florida, and Bobby's sister was like, okay, well, did you see Bobby with him? And he said no. He said that George had told him that Bobby left him and the kids for another man, That which we have heard before. Sounds familiar. Too many mm-hmm. times. And Bobby's sister knew for a fact that she would never leave her kids. So that was like a huge red flag when she heard that. She didn't have an address, but she stopped at the police department and recounted the story to them. And the police were able to give her his address. So she went over to confront him. However, he gave the same story that he gave her friend, and he refused to let her know where the kids were. So. That makes her even more freaked out. She files a missing person report and then goes home to tell her mom. And her mom kind of wanted to go back and talk to George herself, attempt to get some answers from him. But by the time they make it back out there, George is completely packed up, gonzo. Nowhere to be found. He was like, yep, they're on to me. Time to skip town again. Yeah. I don't like this guy. So they never see him or the kids after that for basically 30 years. 30 years of no answers. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's a long time. But one day, Bobby's sister is contacted by Bobby's children. And at this point, her kids are all grown adults And they had been actually looking for their mother and their mother's family for their entire lives. George had already died of cancer. But once, yeah. um, But once the family was together and they got to talking, they tried to piece together what had happened to their mom. From what the kids can remember, when they left Florida, they went to Kentucky They lived in a one-bedroom apartment above a restaurant. The oldest was seven at the time, and she did say she remembered one night she woke up and saw her mom and dad in a struggle, but she thought that she would get in trouble for being awake, so she turned around, went back to sleep, but they never saw their mom again after that. I can't imagine the guilt she must have lived with after that even at that age like probably not fully comprehending but Mm. you know every day you don't see your mom again after that thinking maybe I should have done something maybe I should have spoke up yeah no that would be really difficult that's definitely something that I feel like she lives with so they of course were all kids at the time and they were told the same story by their dad that their mom had left them so they grew up thinking that That was what happened. But they always kept looking for her. Bobby's family contacted the police after hearing all of this in an attempt to get some answers. Police said that there 
were no people that met Bobby's description that were missing or deceased. And so when Bobby, when Bobby's sister and Todd started talking, Todd was like, I don't care what the police say. I just have a feeling that we're onto something. Like, I have a feeling that this this could be the same case. I think you should go and, like, talk to them about 10 Girl and be adamant about it. And in hindsight, they had probably been disregarding it because 10 Girl was supposed to be only 16 to 18 and Bobby was 24 when she disappeared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, you know, talked to police and eventually got a forensic anthropologist to compare the pictures of Bobby to autopsy photos. The bone structure and teeth were so similar that they decided that it was worth having her body exhumed. And after DNA was conducted, it was determined to be a match. Barbara Ann Hackman was tent girl. Wow. Yeah. And Interestingly enough, I think this is a really cool fact, Todd actually became one of the co-founders of the Doe Network. So he really committed himself to, like, trying to find these people who are unidentified. That's really cool. And, I mean, like, this definitely sparked an interest Mm -hmm. for him that has continued. That's super, super cool, actually. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know about the Doe Network, it's just a nonprofit organization of volunteers who work with law enforcement to connect missing person cases with John or Jane Doe cases. Um, They do have a website about cold cases and unidentified people. Um, Yeah, and they just work to match them with missing people. There are, though, a couple of really frustrating questions that I have and I didn't have I didn't see any answers for along with the fact that like there wasn't a ton of info on bobby herself it's very much like i think because it was so long ago too it's mostly just like what happened the first question is like could he have something could george earl taylor have had something to do with the other girl found in the tarp she her name is candace clothier so we know who she is and actually the police know who did it but they haven't released the names because all of the people died from 1975 to 2000 and so because they wouldn't have the opportunity to defend themselves Mm -hmm. they weren't going to release any of the names of the um the suspects that they believe committed the crime Hmm. okay i i guess i understand their logic yeah okay and then the biggest thing that I've not been able to find anywhere. Like, who was his first wife? Did she disappear? Where is she at? That's what I was going to ask. Because, I mean, to use the same story mm-hmm. about why your wife is gone implies to me that perhaps you got rid of both wives the same way. Um, I would be curious to know that as well. That doesn't, I mean, obviously he's dead, so they're, they can't ask him. I feel like that's also probably why there's not a lot of information on Bobby is because those kids probably have very, like, minimal memories of their mother because they were so young. Um, But then also he's dead and uh, her sister was still alive, correct? When she was identified? So she would have memories of her. I don't know if she's still alive now. Right. But but when she was identified, yeah. I mean, this is a 
great example of a case that took so long to be solved that it's hard to know anything about the victim herself because right all that survived was the details of the case yeah and he was never obviously prosecuted for what he did right never held Um, accountable no even though so like technically he he's not considered like the person who did it but Mm -hmm. like by police and by everyone else it's kind of like they know he did it Mm -hmm. it's just kind of one of those things where he was never prosecuted which right because he died before he could face charges and yeah unfortunately that's the way the cookie crumbled in this scenario Yep. And then obviously you have to be careful now because you can't just run his name through the dirt without him being able to mm-hmm. defend himself, right? Yeah, that's definitely when like someone is dead and they're suspected of a crime. It's a moral thing that investigators sometimes won't name names because like, I don't know, the dead can't defend themselves. I- I kind of get that, but at the same time, like, this woman was murdered. Right. Her identity taken away from her, her whole mm-hmm. life taken away from her, and then she gets nothing? Yeah. And no, I, I, it's frustrating as hell. But I, I <sighs> guess morally, yeah, I mean, you can't just drag someone's name through the mud when they're not alive to defend themselves against, you know, accusations. I would be really also curious to hear about the way, like, how their upbringing was after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I would imagine that would be very revealing of his character and could possibly give some insight. Yeah, I'm just, I'm curious. Did he go on to have another relationship? Like, I, there's just a lot of questions that we just don't yeah. have the answers to but yeah well that's that i it. mean the plus side of having a show with the word mysteries in the title <sighs> is that sometimes we can end an episode with lots of unanswered questions and it's a mystery mm-hmm. all right thanks christine that was wonderfully done and researched thank you to our listener jamie for submitting that if you live in a small town, live near a small town, wish you lived in a small town, or have heard of a small town where something weird went down and you think we should cover it, send us a DM at Small Town Mysteries Pod. We love getting messages from you guys. We love hearing about your small towns or, like I said, small towns you live near, small towns you've heard about before. We love hearing what cases you guys are interested in, uh, and we always take them under advisement. So reach out. We'd love to hear from you. And we will be back at it again next week with another case from, I think, Rachel. So prepare to be devastated. And I think that's it. Catch you on the flip. From Sparrow with us next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.